This is a platform address about believing and what that means in a humanist community. A community where the scientific method is invoked as frequently as the Bible. Okay, a lot more frequently. (laughs) Actually, I'm the only one that ever talks about the Bible here. (laughs) So what can belief possibly mean to us? Aren't we the fact people, the science people, the evidence people? In fact, aren't we the non-believers? Some of you may remember uh, President Barack Obama's inauguration address four years ago. Many of us actually watched it together in this room. And the shout-out to the non-believers as he spoke about the many people in America. And there was a little ripple that went through the room as people were excited to get that shout-out and to feel as though they were included. And I feel that ripple. I understand the excitement. But for me, the term just doesn't quite do it. First of all, it doesn't encompass everyone in this community, right? We're a community where we say that deed is more important than creed, and that means that there are lots of kinds of creeds out there that we hold individually. So some of us might claim the term non-believers, and some don't, and some say they're agnostic, and some say they're atheist, and some say they're theist. So we've got lots of folks here in this community. So that's, that's part of it. Part of it is that I don't like really being a (laughs) non-anything. Part of it is that by its very definition, the term constricts belief to being something pretty narrow. A a particular set of Judeo-Christian beliefs, a particular kind of theism, I'm not even sure all of the believers would say that's what they believe, that narrow definition. But for some of us still, the shout-out was exciting. The idea that more and more we talk about non-believers, folks outside of sort of that narrow spectrum of belief, the nuns, which is always confusing, like are you a nun, like the nuns on the bus, are you a nun, an N-O-N-E nun, which kind of nun are you? The idea that there are those out there for whom belief is not that important. As I was looking up what people said about faith and belief through history, I came across a quote from Friedrich Nietzsche, and I thought that for some of you it actually might might resonate, although I'm hoping it's not where you're going to end your time with me this morning. Nietzsche said, faith, that's not wanting to know what is true. So in a community like this one, what can it possibly mean to have faith? Well, those of you who have been around for a while or who were listening attentively about 10 minutes ago when Mary gave our welcoming words know one of the answers that we give. We say here that we have faith in human goodness. So I want to explore a little bit what that means for us. It doesn't mean that everyone is good. There's a wonderful quote from the very first leader of the Washington Ethical Society, George Beecham, which I just love. He talks about a faith in people, the importance of having a faith in people. And he goes on to say that that's not faith that people are wise or good or brave or strong, but that they are capable of becoming wise enough and good enough. 
That's the kind of faith we're talking about, the possibility of being good. It, it, it was a faith that was first um, articulated within the Unitarian tradition by William Ellery Channing. One of the first heresies of the Unitarians was the idea that people were born with the potential to be good, not just to be bad. And, of course, Felix Adler, the founder of ethical culture, talks about the attribution of worth that he sees and affirms in every person. Actually, he doesn't, he doesn't quite see it. There's a great line from Adler's work in Ethical Philosophy of Life where he talks about the frequency with which he doesn't see any worth at all in the people that he, that he talks to, people that are, that are wrapped up in injustice, people that, um, that don't seem to carry that worth within themselves. And he says, the answer to this objection is that I do not find worth in others or in myself. I attribute it to them and to myself. He had faith that they had worth, faith that there was the capacity for goodness within them and within himself. So on a one-to-one level, faith comes in when someone is standing before you whose worth you just can't quite figure out at all. Could be on the other side of the aisle. Could be on the other side of the dinner table. And so instead, we believe in that worth. We believe in the capacity for goodness. We look as hard as we can for that divine spark that we talked about in December for the flame of beauty and humanity. And then we believe it even if we can't find it there. Frankly, we pretend that it's there. We tell ourselves that it's there. And then we have our actions follow that belief. Augustine, one of the early Christian writers, wrote, Faith is to believe what you do not see. The reward of this faith is to see what you believe. And that strikes me as so appropriate when we talk about a faith in human goodness, a faith in human worth. We don't always see it, but if we believe it, that's when we begin to notice it across the aisle or across the table. Like most acts of faith, believing in the potential for goodness in another person is much more about you, about how you act and how you experience life as it unfolds around you, than it is about the other person or even about the world. This kind of faith changes who we are and how we are in the world. But what about that world out there? Because for me, faith in human goodness is not just about the individual. It's about how I look at the whole world. These are hard times. They are sad times. And then again, they are always hard times and sad times out there. One of the legitimate criticisms of liberal religion and liberal theology and philosophy is that it carries an insufficient understanding of evil. That kind of criticism came to the forefront after the horrors of World War II when a neo-orthodoxy surfaced and said, well, you know, all you progressive liberal religious folks, so much for the onward and upward progress of humanity. So much for things getting better and better. We've seen the horrors, and we need an alternative to how we respond. 
And as I said, I, I think that criticism is legitimate. I think that there's something there, right? We've spoken about evil here, about what might be, what that might be, and how and where it lives, and the potential, the capacity for that in each one of us as well, right alongside the capacity for goodness. Woe to any of us, I think, that forgets that all that is human lives within every human self. But any religion, any way of life has to offer a word of hope, a word of love, a word of faith. So for me, it's in those hard times, it's in looking at the world around us and seeing all that is wrong that I am called on to be the most faithful, the most believing. I've been thinking a lot about Martin Luther King Jr. recently, preparing for next week's platform. And of course, because it's that time of year as we get ready for the annual (coughs) celebration of his life and all that he brought. Then too, in January, our congregational theme has been vision and ideals. And so I've been thinking about the vision that King had. There are two quotes that I want to share One from Martin Luther King Jr. himself and one that he quoted from someone else. That first one you've heard from me before. King quoted from the Unitarian minister, 19th century abolitionist, Theodore Parker, who said, The arc of the universe is long, but it bends toward justice. I love that one. The arc of the universe is long, but it bends toward justice. I've said before that I don't know if that is true, but I believe it. I have to believe it. And then another quote, this one from King himself, who said, Faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. I wrote in my newsletter column this month about taking the next faithful step, about what it means to take a step when you can't see the rest of the steps before you, but you have to move somehow. And it's comforting to me to think that this great man didn't always know the whole arc of the universe, didn't know exactly what it would look like, but still took that step that was right in front of him. If you read some of King's writing about his work, you really get that sense. You see the organizing that went into everything that he did, the work he did each step of the way, without the whole civil rights movement planned out in front of him, without knowing what would come after his life, without the answers to all the work that we still have to do. He took the next faithful step. But, you know, all of that organizing, all that work, I think there, too, there's another potential for failure in liberal religion in humanism. I think we can get ourselves wrapped up in the idea that we are the shape of the arc of justice. Now, in some ways, of course, that's true, and I'm not asking anybody to stop organizing and working, as you can imagine. Even the most ardent of evidence-based scientists see that the whole is bigger than each of us alone. You know, we talk sometimes about the story of humanity, that we each have a part to play, but that we're hoping to make the whole story more beautiful, more compassionate, more just. 
For me, though, there's another piece, and it's the piece about faith. It's where I'm called to be faithful. That the whole is not just bigger than each of us alone, but somehow bigger than the sum of its parts, bigger than each of us all added up together. I would say that this allows room for grace, for serendipity, for the unexpected and wonderful to just suddenly happen, to just be. It's a faith that it gets better, that we make it better, that we participate in making it better, but also that somehow, somehow one day it will be just almost perfect, beautiful, love-filled, that the arc of the universe will bend so radically someday, so deeply toward justice. Voltaire said that faith consists in believing when it is beyond the power of reason to believe. And it is certainly beyond any power of reason to think that one day we will be able to prove the neo-orthodoxy wrong, that no one will have to challenge me on my theology of evil, because goodness will have prevailed, prevailed out in the world. But I want to believe that it's possible anyway. I choose to believe it. I act as though it might be true. And this is why. Because it allows me to breathe. It allows me to work, to organize, to do all the things I should be doing, if indeed the universe's arc is only up to me and you and all of us together. You know, there are a lot of people who do justice work from an experience of anger, of inequality, from righteous indignation and passion born out of a deep sense of injustice. And that is a good and right reason to work for change. I get angry. There is plenty that is wrong in the world. But I know that I work best. I act best when I do so from a place of deep and heartfelt belief that someday it will be better, that what I want to see happen is so right and so beautiful and so just that it simply cannot help but come to pass someday. For me, the justice work that speaks to me most deeply, work for civil rights, for equality, anti-racism and anti-oppression work, work against homophobia and heterosexism and transphobia. It is work for wholeness, for a world that is right. If you have ever heard me speak at a rally about one of those things, you know that I can't actually do it without crying. And what I have realized is that it's not because the injustice and the oppression make me sad, although they do. But because when we work together for the wholeness, I can just almost see the world as it ought to be. I can almost see the world that we are trying to create together. Just enough. Just enough to know that my belief is real. I said earlier that I'm the only one around here that ever mentions the Bible, which I think is probably true. And so I'm, I'll do it now just so you know, you know. There's a passage in Mark 9, 24 that I have always loved. 
It's a story like many stories in the New Testament uh, where someone is asking Jesus for help and he comes up, he's seeking, it's a man seeking help for his child. And Jesus says that all is possible for those who believe. And the man says, this is the part that I love, the man says, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. No one believes all the time. Not about anything. Not that the person across the table or across the aisle has goodness within them. Not that the world can really be the way we hope it can be. All beliefs take care and tending. In this community, we help each other to believe. Shortly after the shootings in Connecticut that had so many of us and so many Americans distraught and thinking even more broadly about violence in our society full of despair, I started seeing things popping up on Facebook and sent around and emailed, and some of them were about organizing and work, and some of them were sort of the the, high, the the highest aspiration version of cute kittens. <laughs> there was a BuzzFeed that went around about all the good things that had happened in the last year. Did anyone see that? About the victories that were won, about people helping each other, about the police officer that gave shoes to a homeless person, about the children that reached out to each other. <clears throat> It made the rounds because we needed in that moment to believe. There are moments in congregational life, too, when we are just who we hope to be with each other, when we accomplish more than we thought we could together, when we see a third way forward, when we thought there were only two, and we help each other to believe. At rallies and marches and justice meetings, when we get a glimpse of the world as it ought to be, when we look around and think, my gosh, if we all work, it's really possible. We help each other to believe. When we see our children and hear what they believe, and then what they do with that belief, how they act out their values in the world, how they write letters and petition and wait for change and expect it to come. They help us to believe. Sometimes it's what we see in another person's face, the smile that they give us on Sunday morning or at chorus rehearsal Wednesday night or after a difficult meeting or when they show up at our door with a casserole and say they're sorry and they have been thinking of us and here is some tuna salad which won't make it better but which might help us to believe that one day it will be better. It helps us to believe. Look around you at these faces. These are the faces that will help you believe. Yours is the face that will help someone else to believe. You, this congregation, this city, this whole world is the reason that I can say I'm a believer.